Hey, I've got some good news and some bad news. We're back for Connect This, and it's the last show of the year. You can figure out which part of that is bad news and which part of that is a good news. <laughs> different people may have different reactions. I'm excited to talk a little bit about what's been happening lately and what's been happening all year, reflecting on it with uh, some of my favorite folks to uh, laugh at me. Uh, we got Travis Carter from USI Fiber in Minneapolis. Welcome, Travis. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. Honored to be here with you. Episode 60. This is uh, two and a half years now, I think. Doing well. Loving it. Well done, sir. Well done. Yeah. Living the dream. I, I appreciate you letting me hang out with you. Hang, uh, letting me hang out with you. Yeah. Not a lot of people say that, so I'm, I'm glad we're getting this recorded. Yeah. Uh, we got Doug Dawson from CCG Consulting. Welcome. I am putting in my reservation right now. I want to be on episode 100. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that sounds good. You've been on almost every episode for the past yeah. 20, so yeah. I think it's a pretty good shot. <laughs> Doug, only recently did your AOL address stop working, and I'm curious, what made you stop being one of the more than million people who are still on AOL? I hadn't checked that thing in five years, so if it was working, <laughs> I have no idea what's on there. I bet there's I about 19,000 sort of... spams in there. Yeah. <laughs> I think you had some sort of forward set up because it really? was getting to you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And then we got Kim McKinley from Utopia Fiber. Welcome. Cheers, everyone, to a Kim, year. I love yes. the holiday spirit. It's lovely. I'm going all in, and it's ginger beer for all those who are wondering. <laughs> Excellent. I just got to show off. I got um, my... See? It's... Oh, is, now is I feel bad. I feel bad. I have like seven Grateful Dead Christmas shirts, and I didn't wear one. Yeah. Way to go. Didn't you this know it's uh, Christmas season, Doug? Come on. I, no, no one told me. This is the Mary <laughs> Twitness shirt from uh, the This Week in Tech show that got me into podcasting in 2006. Yeah, where I started getting into the, into this sort of stuff. So um, it's been wonderful. Uh, what a year. And Kim, you won an award. Well, you were part of a project that won an award. Tell us a little bit about that. So last, I think it's a couple of Tuesdays ago, uh, the Yellowstone Fiber team, which used to be named Bozeman Fiber, won the Bond Buyers Small Issuance Deal of the Year. <clears throat> so um, huge accomplishment for the financial team who put that together and uh, got it across the finish line because it was a $65 million deal with um, a conduit revenue bond. So basically no backstop to that bond and um, less than a 4% interest rate. So that could not happen today. <laughs> In the market that we were in, that was happened last January, that we closed on that. And that's terrific. Um, that project has broken ground. It's moving forward. Good stuff happening. It, it is great stuff happening. Uh, we needed the, the ground to get a little above, you know, freezing. It was. It's. I think today it's supposed to, the high is supposed to be negative four up there. So you are not seeing me go up to Bozeman um, <laughs> probably until March. <laughs> Um, we are desperate for low temperatures here. I shouldn't say we when Travis is around because he's not, but yeah. I'm waiting for the ground to freeze. I want to ice skate. And as of right now, this is still too warm. And now we're getting this stupid snow that's going to trap the heat and we're not going to be ice skating until January. It's miserable. Lame. <sighs> this week in ice skating next week. Um, 
There's a lot going on. I feel like I'm, you know, I was just reflecting. I was looking back on some of the Keller and Heckman uh, emails uh, that uh, that they put out, the old Jim Baller Herbst list, uh, rounding it up. And there's just there's a lot going on. Uh, it's exciting. I feel like ending the year strong. Um, uh, I feel like there's been a lot of little news. That's that's Kim. You were kind of reflecting that. I think there hasn't been a lot of big news, but there's been a lot of little news. No, I think it's been a great year. I think there's a lot of things that are happening a lot of momentum, but it's kind of been a little anticlimactic of bum, 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 everything's coming. And what actually has been delivered, how much money has actually hit the ground from the bead um, and the infrastructure, the infrastructure bill or the bead money. Well, let's talk about one other thing too. We're going to, we'll talk about some of that, the bead um, coming up, but also a year ago, I feel like we were all talking about the supply chain disruptions and I'm curious, Kim and Travis, as you've been building, have you substantially had to change your plans because of a lack of equipment? Go ahead, Travis. You go first. <clears throat> well, let's just say that um, the supply chain ended up all delivering, and now we have six times more product than we normally have. So every yard is full. Every warehouse is full. Every everything is full. And all of the suppliers have been uh, diligently asking when we're ready to accept our next shipments. So <laughs> apparently this free government handout money hasn't been handed out yet. So everyone that, that geared up for it, it's all coming our way. So we're all right. So there's out there. We're full. I'm going to, I'm going to turn around what you usually do to me, Travis, and say the Mitchell Carter Emporium is about ready to be open then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if anyone wants to buy conduit, we're full. So yeah, <laughs> you gonna mark it up, Travis? You gonna mark it up some before you well, resell? Well, the problem is, is that you know it it keeps going up in price. So um, I, I I'll sell the newest stuff. I'm hanging on to the old stuff that was cheaper. So how about you, Kim? Do you have any? Are you short? I I think we've I mean we've struggled at points through the years um, through the year, but I I think for the most part we've gotten through it. I think we've done some creative approaches with Yellowstone of that we couldn't get stuff for they up in Yellowstone. So we used the, some of the inventory we had at Utopia and just did it like a trade until that stuff came in. But it's been a very interesting year, but you are seeing the supply chain ease up. But what I am hearing is you're seeing some of the suppliers who are um, backing off on their travel and some of those major people in this industry who are um, getting stuff cut because of what the, the excess that Travis is experiencing right now is that they, they, they ramped up and now it's like, there's not the demand right coming towards them. Now, so, I, have a, I have a slightly different story because I work with really tiny guys, right? <clears throat> they, each of them is having very peculiar one or two issues. I've got two companies who just, they're building a, a municipal network, first time, no past history. They can't get handholds. Both of them have decided to make their own. Hmm. They they created a concrete form and they're they're making homemade handholds. How is so, that going you know, for them? Seems to be working. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, they made a good form. They took their time and did it right. And so, uh, so you know, you can always get creative around a lot of the stuff on the list. But but you know, they're at the bottom of the supply chain where they don't get the stuff because. It's all sitting in Travis's warehouse. I was yeah. gonna say, if they wanna, if they want, they could melt down some of that resin, maybe, and create a <laughs> handhold out of the resin. Well, it's, um, it's, it, it is interesting though that um, I, I would tell you, Chris, you're interviewing probably two of the very few active Ethernet networks that are mm -hmm. in the country. 
And so I would say that Kim and I are able to ebb and flow a little better mm -hmm. than let's say you're locked into like Calix's ecosystem. You're at the mm -hmm. mercy of them getting you product. But Doug does bring up an interesting point of the items we had the biggest challenge with this year. Handholes was mm -hmm. without a doubt. That was that was number one. And that just doesn't make sense to me because that should be one of those items that is not hard to spin up a factory. It's not the fiber optic cable. It's not like, it's not the components that require Taiwanese um, chips. Um, well, here's that's the I, problem. I, but that's the problem the car guys had. They weren't having a problem getting the chips. They weren't having a problem getting. The they couldn't get handles either. They couldn't. They, no, they couldn't get things like door handles. You can't do the car till it's finished. <laughs> so they, they were missing water. they were missing very small components but then they can't ship the cars out the door i don't know elon figured out how to do it without the door handles so that's well he doesn't make as many cars as the big guys <laughs> that's the, you know so. here's what i've learned the, big, the bigger and the heavier the piece the harder it is to get hmm. so you know handholes are big and heavy and right. they're they're, right. they're difficult to move around so those tend to be little widgets and stuff there doesn't seem to be a problem with those well, we're going to wrap this up in a second, but I just wanted to share. I don't know, Kim, if you can, you travel more than I do. Uh, and I'm curious if you've seen this, but it does seem to me that uh, it is not getting better out there for staff. Every hotel I've been at for the past six months uh, is long lines and one person working or two people working that clearly have not been there that long. Uh, uh, the restaurants, um, there's mm -hmm. massive shortages of workers. Uh, and I have to assume that's going to continue reverberating through everywhere. I think so. I think you're going to see that. Although the last hotel I checked in to, they must have, I must have looked terrible because they were like, here's a free drink card and a free appetizer card. <laughs> you know, like, how bad do I look? So this is a moment that I want to do before we get too far into it. But I want to note that this show is being competently managed because I'm not doing it. So uh, thank you, Rye. Uh, Rye had to move his schedule around a bit today to keep accommodating that I keep moving the show around. But um, terrific to, to have you uh, able to be running the show. And uh, thanks for your great year uh, of work on it to make sure that this happens. And uh, really appreciate that. Uh, Ryan and I would both like to thank uh, all of you all who are uh, our guests, um, uh, co-hosts, um, uh, people who are watching. And we want to encourage you all to help us get to the next level of LinkedIn. Um, we want to be able to broadcast the show on LinkedIn, but to do that, we need 40 more followers on our LinkedIn page. Um, and the link is there. It's linkedin.com slash showcase slash community slash slash community dash broadband dash networks so if you can just head on over there you can how the heck is somebody going to remember that <laughs> I don't know it's on the screen it's right there on the screen i can I see expect, it i would expect the three of us aren't even on there are we i was going to say that um, i did like it yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, did you? well the question is whether you followed it i think um, so oh. I will. So if people are there, we, if we get to 150 at that point, you can search community broadband networks on LinkedIn as well. But if we get to 150, then the show will start to broadcast there as well. We'll pick up new serendipitous watchers. It'd be wonderful if we could kick off January being able to broadcast there and, and, and just massively increase our audience to maybe four or five people. So I'll, I'll fix it. Hard I'll, to I'll, I'll follow it a hundred times. How's that? <laughs> you know, I, I need some bots. You can you put that link in the comments, Ryan? Yeah, I think you will. Um, okay, well, thank you. So uh, first topic, uh, and we're going to start with Travis on this because he might be the only one who watched all of it. 
the Senate had a hearing. Was it the I, I don't remember. I don't know, is it the Senate? Is the Senate Commerce Committee <clears throat> had a hearing, um, ensuring solutions to meet America's broadband needs. Travis, are you reassured that that Congress is up for this task of making sure that we all have a good internet connection? Well, I'm actually a little disappointed in you, Chris. I think you just did this to me to, to you know, tease me. So there I sat for two and a half hours and I took a few notes on this topic. And I don't know who these people are, but I would tell you from my external observation, uh, Mr. Senator Thune from South Dakota, the good people of South Dakota, good job in voting that gentleman in. He seemed to be... He seemed to know what was going on. No, he didn't. Are you kidding me? Let's be clear about this. Hold on. Did you watch it? I watched it. I watched it. (laughs) Senator Thune's top concern for the people of South Dakota, where we have thousands upon thousands of people on tribal lands who have no internet access. What is he concerned about? You know what? We might be putting too much money into broadband. Are we building too many rural broadband networks, Travis? There's really good broadband out there already. Are we putting too much money in to, to try and take away the good jobs that have been provided by Century Lincoln, whatever. It was crap. It was awful. Thune was terrible. He was wretched. He asked for your opinion, and then he just started yelling at you. Well, no, he, what, I, what I really <laughs> tried to do is I tried to pick the person out that I knew would annoy Chris the most, and I wanted to make sure my, that I My so. favorite part of Thune, I was literally, I was literally on a on an email thread that I think maybe Kim may have even been on the NDIA list. <sighs> Senator Thune just sat there and ignored that there was two women on the panel. Right? There's two women. Uh, one is Kimball, who is uh, is doing a lot of great work on the pueblos in New Mexico, connecting. Uh, uh, these tribes. And then Angela Seifer, who's been a multiple time guest on this show, who who's, runs the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. And the two of them didn't even exist as far as Dune was concerned. He can only talk to the two guys from the trade the 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 trade uh um the trade companies the big the big cable companies and the big telephone companies everyone else didn't exist for senator Thune. well that's who makes the contributions you know so yeah no it's very clear who senator yeah. thune is concerned with he wants to yeah. make sure the telephone companies that are contributing money to his campaign are are making sure that they're not seeing competition in rural areas because our biggest problem is we might be building too much network in rural areas travis you triggered me congratulations i'll stop yelling at you now <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Now, we have, you we know have what? How many was, times can you trigger him in one show? Travis? Well, that was the thing. That was that was a softball. I knew that was. <laughs> so, you know. But but I will say, uh, the honorable Mister Thune had some data points that I did not know, which plays into my total confusion of this show. That there are 15 agencies with 133 broadband programs currently going on. I'm not even sure that's program. accurate. That's I don't know where that that's, comes from. Okay, I don't know. Well, well, here's how they do it. That it's a it's a silly statistic. They drug. Remember, two years ago, the federal government was made to create a broadband manual of all the different ways agencies could help you. So they all came out and listed something they could do to help you, and 95 percent of those made no sense. So that's the number of agencies. They're going like, if you want to apply for a permit on Indian land, we might be able to get in your way, and that was what they put in the thing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and on top of that, so they, they don't have programs. They 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 were forced to reply with something, so they did. So yeah, the, it's it's more like a dozen agencies that have something. But this is oh, that's way better. Okay, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this this is one of the things that also drove me nuts. Is um at one point there was a question about. Uh, the way that federal agencies are not responding to permits in a timely manner and on Western lands in particular. 
and I have no doubt this is true. I hear about it's this. I hear about this true. constantly. And you know, you know what would really help? What would really help is if senators just yelled at the people in the Western agencies. I mean, the Western agencies have suggested that they've put together a package of $30 million that could allow them to hire the staff to handle the volume of permit requests they're getting. Does Senator Thune say, oh, maybe we should fund these agencies to do the work that we've required them to do? No. He says, these people are probably deadbeats and like we should just maybe even fire them and then maybe the permits will be processed more quickly. I don't know. But the Senate has had an option for years to actually fund the agencies agencies to do this freaking work and they don't they just keep giving them more rules to follow without giving them any capacity to do it i love this you trigger him then he has a re-trigger yeah like i was like welcome to connect this senator thune edition i watched one hour of that hearing and i cannot watch anymore because of my heart <laughs> all right so continuing on with my notes here um the um, the four point seven billion dollars that NTA got in two thousand nine, did we ever audit that to determine if we got much for it? Any sense? I just I was curious. Well, I don't I don't believe so. I worked on some of this project and never got audited. Okay. So, yeah, uh, some of them were terrible. Some of them were pretty good. Like the city of they Duluth, were middle mile, and it's kind of hard to audit middle mile. The I'm gonna catch my breath a, for a second, but I've got a, a I've got a rant on that. Story. The one that's actually a good one. So yeah. Duluth, the city of Duluth is using rescue plan dollars to extend broadband to 900 premises in the lowest income neighborhood of Duluth. And they're building that off of the Northeast Service Cooperative, which has expanded fiber throughout schools. And I mean, previously it was like there was like $400,000 a month or, or like a $400,000 charge to build a T1 line up north of Lake Superior. And the Northeast Service Cooperative took federal dollars and resolved all that, made sure they all had fiber. So there are some really good projects out there that have re resulted in a lot but before that network those northern counties would century link would go out for a week or two they'd have no broadband for two weeks running it was terrible so. well and like and, and it's not just no broadband they would have no 911 like no, the, no, no, the, the border call. patrol on the canadian border would be like using <coughs> personal cell phones i think to like yes. do stuff there's no credit cards that could run i mean i don't know about it being two weeks for all of that being down but there was definitely like intense outages prior to that where like someone would dig you know you get that that backhoe operator in duluth that would mess up the cable the one cable so now, cook, uh, cook county had a two-week one that's what prompted them to build their own network so yeah right uh but travis <clears throat> to give you a sense of how this worked i was involved in this in the comments in 2009 ntia said we got all this money how should we spend it and i said last mile you should definitely spend it on last mile it's not going to go very far but it'll demonstrate the need and it'll it'll you know result in a lot of benefits the big cable and telephone companies said oh you can't spend any of this on last mile you got to do all middle mile middle mile is important middle mile will result in lots of last mile investment which is dumb because that's not how it works that's not how it's ever worked anywhere so the the the, the government went with what the big cable and telephone companies told them they built middle mile and then the big cable and telephone companies went to congress and said you spent all this money and you didn't connect any businesses or residents this is a failure <laughs> and they literally lobbied for years saying that the money was a failure because they had followed what the big cable and telephone companies told them to do it was nuts and that will taught me a lot about how to understand the way washington dc doesn't work rant number three this is we're on a roll mm -hmm. what do you think merry christmas to am i wrong though doug am i, am I you're absolutely you're absolutely right what else is on your list card 
Mr. Carter. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, I really, I had to pause the Senate hearing quite often and try to Google the word salad that was going on between all these folks. Um, I've been out of corporate America for a while. Um, but it became very, very clear very quickly that I, I invite the um, council to invite the four of us on there. And we're, I mean, I won't be anywhere near as polished as these people, but happy to tell them the kind of what's really happening on the street. So I think of this entire two and a half hours, the actual quantifiable things that they could help with, easing the permits. So we want to, we, so in Minneapolis here, we want to go about a mile and it's through uh, some federal property. Our, we anticipate to have the permit back in 2025. Okay. So, and, 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 for, and for some reason, that seems normal. Right. So, okay. And then the, uh, the second thing I gleaned from it was, is they, they touched on it a little bit about uh, reasonable poll pricing. That was, I thought, I thought that was a pretty, pretty good conversation, but the rest of it was me thinking, I don't know why Chris is having me watch this for two and a half hours. Um, Cause it didn't seem like there was a ton there. But, I believe I warned you. Yeah. I, I would love for them to say, Hey, give the four of us like a hundred million. And then we'll find a project somewhere and we will we'll design it, execute it, run it, operate it. Because the thing that they mentioned, and they only mentioned it for a fraction of the time, was long-term sustainability of these networks. Mm -hmm. And my fear on this is that they're going to build these networks with no sustainability in mind and they're not going to be able to fund themselves. Mm -hmm. So guess what's going to end up happening? All, all the big incumbents are just going to pick them up for 10 cents on the dollar or less and run them. So... I am going to change my prediction that 99.6% of all this money will just go into the incumbent's hands. Uh, I want to say that I think Angela Seifert did a, a really good job in Kimball as well in terms of trying to bring some uh, reality to the the panel from what they're seeing of their experiences. Mm -hmm. um, Angela called for a full FCC commission, which I think is good. I think that um, it's about dang time the Senate did its job and confirmed Gigi. Uh, they called for more funding for ACP that's going to run out in two years, have some certainty there, which I think lines up with what you were saying, Travis. Uh, and then Angela had a number of other uh, things in terms of uh, what, what tribes need and what local groups need in terms of digital equity funding to make sure that people are able to take advantage of these networks. And I thought, mm -hmm. I thought that was good. Um, Kim, if you're going to watch any of it, let me encourage you to watch the part, which I think is on the order of like, like 30 to 45 minutes in where one of the Democratic senators asks uh, Jonathan Spalter from U.S. Telecom, which is the big, the big telephone companies, uh, about uh, bandwidth caps. And the look on his face and the way he searches for words as he tries to figure out how to say, this is a wonderful thing that some of our wonderful members do <laughs> to try to make sure that people who are older aren't paying too much for their internet service. Uh, so uh, bandwidth caps are, are how we make sure that elderly people mm. can use the internet. He also said that it was $45 a month that most people were paying for service, which uh, I don't know what year he pulled that from, but I think it was in the 90s. But I think this is the problem with some of these lovely people who are on the panel is that they know nothing about telecom and they've read a paper probably from 1995. <laughs> and it had a lot of word salad that, as Travis mentioned, that nobody could understand. So they just speak in circles so they think they're smart and that they say words, but they don't mean anything. And let's go back, Chris. 
What they is accomplished the, why can't we just what they wanted? They the forty five dollars was to plant that in senators' head that that's the price. Yeah, they, well, you can say exactly it. one. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Ken. No, no, no. But and like, what's wrong with unlimited bandwidth caps? Is like so if we have unlimited, does limited make it? like more cost effective is what they're trying to say for the um, older industry would claim that if they had to provide unlimited service, the prices would go up. The reason they can keep their prices so low is because they make sure that they're not giving people too much of the product because, you know, if I use more internet access, Comcast bill goes up substantially. I'm pretty sure that's how they said it works. Oh, I just wanted to ask Travis. Charter, yeah. Charter's at 90 and Comcast is at 92. How much more would they go up to, Travis? What's the magic number? <laughs> we got a big face now, Doug. You know. Okay, but Chris, you, you did realize that nobody wanted to talk about the reality of broadband yeah. usage. They're, no. all, they're all in there talking about, oh, the kids can't go to school. The kids can't do this. It's not what the kids use this stuff for. Every kid I, I during the whole uh, COVID gig that I talked to were playing video games, watching, you know, they were on Twitch streams, they were watching Netflix and they were screwing around. They weren't no, doing homework because, you know, the amount of bandwidth. They were doing homework though. They, I mean, like they were doing both. I think it's worth saying they were doing both. More bandwidth went to the games. Yes. No, they weren't. They, they, okay. You don't think they did they any had, homework? No, all they did is have their little Zoom session up. So they yeah, were but there. They, they needed to have it for Zoom. No, I mean, Travis. I, so I we did an event a few years ago in Southeast Ohio in the Appalachians, and one of the guest speakers was a a, a, a woman. It's just weird. Eighteen calling eighteen year olds a girl is just awkward. So I'm going to say a woman who is a valedictorian who had no internet access in her house most of the time. She had a cell plan that shared, was shared among her family that they sometimes uh, she could use, but for the most part, she had to go to school early and she had to leave and she had to stay after school to get her homework done there and become valedictorian. And there are hundreds of kids at that school, I'm guessing, who did not do that and did not have that opportunity um, and, and had less of an education. And I think, it's, I think that it is, I think it's inaccurate, Travis. And I don't think you want to defend the proposition that these kids are not doing any of their homework or things like that. But yeah, they are playing games. And frankly, oh, yeah. their ability to play games adds like thousands of dollars of value to that property. And we should be concerned with that as a public policy issue oh, without. My, my point was, is that when they talk about these bandwidth caps, if all they were doing is school, they would never hit the bandwidth. Well, yeah, the bandwidth cap isn't about schoolwork. I agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah. The bandwidth, that's, the bandwidth that's, cap that's is where, about. That's where I was going with the argument. But I mean, like, this is the thing, right? Like, I mean, I, um, I crushed the bandwidth cap from Comcast last month. Like, I freaking blew it away. It was the first time. Usually, I come close and I back off, and then, uh, but I was running this app that we've been testing to try and do a bunch of speed tests, and it turns out if you do forty-eight speed tests a day. Uh, on a gigabit download connection, uh, you use a lot of bandwidth. <laughs> but like, I also do a ton of uploading. Most of those tests are happening during non-peak times. And as you know, as everyone on this call knows, every one of those bandwidth tests did not cost Comcast anything uh, on non-peak times. Now, if I'm maxing that out during peak times, I am incurring some cost to Comcast. Pretty small for a provider the size of Comcast. But this is crap. The idea of a bandwidth cap um, is ridiculous in terms of hey. the economics of how networks work. Go ahead. Kim. Hey, Chris, if you didn't do those speed tests, you could have $45 internet. I'm just saying okay, that's <laughs> the problem. You were probably everyone. Problem. Probably. Everybody, tell my in wife. Whole, everybody in the whole city could probably have it. That's, this is really bad. So. 
I'm the bandwidth hog. I'm over here, and it's just for testing. <laughs> Travis, half of about about five percent of your internet bill as an ISP is the speed test servers. Well, off of your I, I talked about this on the Starlink channels. You know, you, everyone would post their speed tests all the time as soon as they put a bandwidth cap on there. I haven't seen one in days now. Right. So, but you know, um, hang on. Let's not promote this too far because you know, I'm, I don't know about Kim, but I know we we get a lot of subscribers because of that. You know, yeah, not having a bandwidth cap. So I promote heavily oh, that yes. cable networks should have a bandwidth cap, at least in Minneapolis. Here's your stump speech. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is what it is. <laughs> so, yes, thank you for those two and a half hours, Mr. Mitchell um, I, I, and, and Mr. Thune. I, uh, I think you did a, <laughs> a, you did a so wonderful Travis, job. Um, I think actually what we need is a Travis scale for like meetings that last more than an hour in terms of just how useless they are. Um, you've watched like task force meetings. You've watched a variety of different meetings. Do you have any sense of where this hearing sits on your scale of uselessness? Well, I guess it depends on what are you looking for? Are you looking for outcome? I think there'll be very, I think there'll, there'll be virtually nothing that comes from the meeting as, as much as the people that on the, on the panel were trying to, I don't think anything tangible comes from it because you know what I found interesting from the senators. And again, I'm a reasonably good, you know, judge of character. They weren't even hardly paying attention and they would cut the people off. They wouldn't listen to the whole thing they were trying to say. So I think that there's very little that comes of it, but they probably have these every day. I would assume, right? No, they bring in. Well, they have a hearing like this every day, but on broadband, it's kind of rare. Okay. Doug, you look like you were going to say something. No, I'm really enjoying it. So I'm, I'm curious, Doug, I think that I think the staffers, I think there's a bunch of staffers in D.C. who did pay attention and hopefully did learn something from uh, some of the testimony. Uh, I for the life of me, I, I cannot examine. I cannot imagine a non-corrupt reason for why you would bring on the cable and telephone ex, um, trade off on unions. You know exactly what they're going to say. It's almost comical in in the absurdity of it. And um, who else is going to build? But to be fair, more? you know what everyone's going to say. You would know yeah. what Travis would say. You know what Utopia would say if you bring mm -hmm. them up. You already know what their issues are. Well, that's the question, oh. Doug. If if it was a panel of the four of us, do you think we would do any good, or would we just be dismissed as like kooks and irrelevant? Um, I don't know. They would probably call us whippersnappers or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think they would. We could, is it possible to be in contempt of Congress? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's yeah. one well, of the reasons. Three minutes. So three minutes in, Chris would be yeah. ranting at the Congress. Exactly. <laughs> I think I think I would be ineffective. I think Angela is far better for like the kind of ideas that I have. I'd rather have Angela up there than have me up there. Like I don't think I would be very good at it, and I would be really annoyed. Well, the, the I just would is, like to you to sit next to Thune and see how long this lasts without you just like trying to like move over. I would have a raw th throat from all the snorting I was doing. <laughs> but Chris, who I else think I would be pretty good at it, but, these... they, but no one pays attention to old hippie guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> you have a tie-dye suit? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we have to I don't a own suit? a suit at all. What are you talking about? Oh, hold on, we have to wear a suit up. <laughs> it would be going. customary, Travis. Well, I'm not going then. I turned, I turned down the uh, invitation, Mr. Thune. Um, so <laughs> what was I going to say on that? Because I, I got myself laughing on that. 
Um, we can come back to it if you if you think about it. I wanted to throw out to Kim particularly uh, a company called Zipply, which is mm -hmm. the the former assets of Frontier, mostly in the Northeast, mm -hmm. which is doing some interesting stuff that I don't always get. Like I'm not really sure what exactly they're doing. Like they seem to be building fiber in some areas. They seem to have like I don't know where the where the business plan is and whatnot. Now they bought iFiber, which was a really interesting. ISP that operate on a bunch of open access networks, although not on mm -hmm. Utopia. Um, iFiber kind of tried to go big nationally and then I think had some stumbling in Medina, uh, Ohio with that project where I think they had higher expectations and um, and uh, and then iFiber's leadership changed. But this is interesting because this is a big like kind of ILEC company, Zipply, that's buying a company that mostly exists on open access networks, the kind of company that Travis says has no real value because it doesn't have any assets in the ground. And so I'm trying to parse what's going on here. And I don't really, I don't really get it. I, I actually understand. Yeah. You got to remember Go Washington it. State, there's gigantic open access networks. Up there. Mm -hmm. And that's their only way to get into those. They're not going to go. There's several counties who have built the entire county with fiber. In fact, um, you know, iFiber is mostly in, in Grand Chelan counties, which are almost completely built out. That's how you get to everybody. So it was a very smart purchase because that lets them provide fiber to all those customers who are on DSL. So I think, you know, so they're actually buying into, they're never going to overbuild those. No one comes to a rural area and builds a second network. So, because these are rural fiber networks, that very rare thing. So. But I think this is the problem, Doug. It's private equity. So it goes back to what Travis has said, and we've all said along: Are these private equity firms going to come in and just buy up all the smaller ISPs to eventually become the monopoly and not really be true open access? I don't know, well, they, but I mean, could, it'll be and those kind of networks. If they bought the two largest residential providers, they would be the monopoly. But yeah. let's so let's play this yes. out, right? So, so that, that fiber is, that is a possibility. These these open access networks, and I do not have access to the numbers. I may have looked at some numbers that were publicly available years ago, but I haven't refreshed myself. Uh, but I, I suspect that iFiber was the biggest provider on those networks. Uh, let's assume for a second that iFiber had 50% of the residential providers on both of those big networks in Grant County and Chelan County. Um, the whole point of private equity, I would think, is that you're being able to make this investment. You're going to be able to jack up prices in the future. But there's 15 other ISPs on those networks and there's very low switching costs. So if no. iFiber- See, In Washington, there's not 15 other ISPs. It's not like uh -huh. Utopia. There's maybe uh -huh. two or three residential ISPs. That's not what there's I saw lot, when I saw the listing. It's a, a whole lot of business ISPs. Uh -huh. Huh. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, okay. So let's play that out then. So, you know, Travis and Mitchell, Travis Mitchell Internet uh, jumps on out there and, you know, it's pretty low cost to just create a new ISP. Um, you're talking about these communities where there's word of mouth. Um, it's not, I just, I don't see like, um, I don't know how much they paid for iFiber, but I got to think they don't have the kind of lock-in they do when they're taking on big market share elsewhere. It's, it's going to be easy for people to switch away over time. I would think. They didn't, they didn't buy this for the terminal value. They bought this for the customer account. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what they bought it for. They have a footprint and they want to serve as many of them as possible because that helps them elsewhere. Mm -hmm. From a policy perspective, to try to serve everybody is a very positive thing. They are an incumbent. So, so I mean, this brings in, what, like a few bucks per subscriber per month? Yeah, it's not profitable. It makes a little bit of money, but, but it's okay, money. I mean, all the ISPs on the Utopia make money. They don't make a fortune, but they make money. So, 
Okay. Any questions from Travis? I'm not going to mention that Travis is. But I think this is, the, like, if you look at. <laughs> what I do? To, I'm just joking. Um, if you look, I, I, I did a good Wikipedia search on Zipply. So this is totally accurate. So I'm never going to be wrong. But. Um, I'm glad I edited that story earlier today. <laughs> the, it, it didn't Zipply, from what I read, was formed in 2020. So in 2020, and they are saying that they, because they bought all the Frontier assets, they're up to 500,000 customers. So are they just trying to increase the value, their valuation of the company more than they are trying to? They're trying to increase customer, customer, customer. Yeah. Because they're losing. I assume that they're losing customers at the same rate. Like they have yes. fiber, they're gaining customers and they have DSL where they're losing customers. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So do we know what they paid for it? No, not a not. No clue. No. So here. Okay. So here's the standard kind of playbook for private equity. You basically, you, you pay some multiple of EBITDA today. There's a growth pattern for five to seven years. That's usually your capital hold. And then you flip it off to another private equity group. So I'm assuming that's all this is. I, I'm guess I'm guaranteed they didn't pay much for it. They might've paid, might've paid four times EBITDA for it versus yeah, like know. Utopia can probably sell for 28 times EBITDA because they own the physical infrastructure. That's when I say there's no money in it. There's no, there's no money in riding the network. The money's mm -hmm. owning the network. Right. I mean, right. you, and I think you can have a nice life and you can have a nice business and all that. I'm just saying if you're if you're trying to sell off to private equity, I'm actually kind of surprised that unless they got it for a song. Well, that's what I wonder about. I think I suspect there may have been a, a in the uh, Chris's musings category. We need a new banner um, that iFiber when it was trying to go big and use a big national and do a big national play in, in hoping there would be a lot more open access. They think they brought on investors saying we're going to be operating on this much. And those investors may have gotten tired and wanted to, to get out. Well, also remember, there's a lot of private equity looking for deals right now. So there's going to be deals that we see in 2023 that may not make sense to all of us, but there's just not a lot to choose from right now. And if you're running an infrastructure fund, things like this might be the things they can get their hands on. And just so yeah. you know, if you're a consultant right now, you get calls from infrastructure funds three times a week wanting to understand broadband. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> and, they want to do, and they want to understand the whole industry in one hour. Well, and the, and the problem is with the with the Fed rate right now going through the roof, it's almost impossible. I think most of these networks will be PE driven moving yes. you know, for the next few years because getting senior debt, even getting mes debt now, is literally impossible for upstarts. We should do some kind of community networking thing that would try to make sure the network stays uh, rooted in the community. I don't, I don't know, Kim. Am I crazy? Well, that, no, uh, I, you should pass a law in the city that Travis can never sell his network. That's easy. <laughs> First of all, I, I do want to mention, mention that, Doug, you just have to tell those um, people who are calling who want to know about broadband that there's a Senate hearing about two and a half hours that they True. can learn all, all about broadband. Watch <laughs> ah, good point. Good that, point. That's the first solution. I speak about this all the time. If a city is going to put investment into building a broadband network, they can partner with whoever they want to, but own the asset don't give away the asset to somebody else. If it's your taxpayer's money that's going into the ground, own it, at least doing it from that way. If it's private companies coming in, totally different story if they're using their capital to build it. But you own the network that you're using your people, your residents, um, taxpayers' dollars on. So uh, second or third week in a row where I had to take my Princess Leia ears off because in the middle of a Travis comment, they just stopped working. I don't know. It seems like it's always a Travis comment. Um, Rye also dug around and said that iFiber has 18,000 subs. 
um, which would suggest that it has um, well less than 50% of the market share in Chelan and Grant, because both of those counties have more than 100,000 people, which um, right. I would assume a significant number of them are on the fiber. Yes. Um, this is a question that Travis has responded, requested to go last on. And this is uh, some of the conversations I've been having with different folks um, in the current environment. Um, we have a number of people, often in more rural areas, perhaps some areas of mixed density, where they feel like they need to build their own internet access. And it may not even be a municipal network. And so I just came up with a number that was too low to really do much with. But uh, I'm curious what you would do, Kim, if I if I said for the next six months, I need you to figure out how to help this community out. You have on the order of a million dollars. What do you do to try to help uh, get uh, a rural community well connected? First of all, you just you have to see if there's any connectivity that you can tie into, and then I would build to their anchor institutions in those small communities, like their library, their city hall, um, some of the the really crux places in the little community, and then from there you could figure out a way to build out years later. But that would be my first to see if there's any way to interconnect to one of the major routes, and then just connect those areas. What do you like? How do you like that answer, Chris? How do you like? Yeah, it? yeah. I mean, if you had a, one of those. Uh, if you had one of those BTOP networks nearby, that would be handy. Uh, mm -hmm. Go ahead, uh, well, Doug. The second answer, which a lot of communities are pulling off, because this is what they're doing with ARPA money, is they're making local grants to partner ISPs. And that doesn't sound like mm -hmm. a lot of money, but that's enough to get them to come and build. And mm -hmm. so, and so, they, so they're getting, and, and mostly they're giving them to co-ops and small telcos. And so they're, they're saying, look, if I give you a million bucks, will you build my county? And it's working. People are taking, they're going like, well, I was already looking at it and that's enough to change my mind. So, so that's a second yeah. option. Just depends where you're at. I mean, depends where you're at. So yeah. he didn't give us a location, Doug. No, he just said, no. where he I always, was. he always does that. I think that next he's going to ask us what we think about Thune. So I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Travis, you're on a small Island on uh, Lake Michigan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go ahead, Travis. You wanted to go last. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. So one million dollars, huh? Wasn't there a? Uh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There it is. That's what I'm looking for. All right. So here, here's my questions for you. Because I, I, I'm going to answer your question with a question. Can I lever? Can I lever that? Can I put additional? Can mm -hmm. I use that money to put additional debt on the business? Can you build the capital stack? Mm-hmm. Ooh, look at you, Mister Fancy Pants. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and who's who's liable for it? Is this, well, is, am I liable for the capital stack or is this new well, let's, entity? Is it backstopped by taxpayers? Because a lot of, these are a lot of the questions. I mean, my basic answer is, is take the million dollars, do a feasibility study and then run out of a million dollars. Okay. But that's, I'm saying if you really wanted to do it, that, that doesn't work. So how, how is it a grant? I don't have to pay it back. And can I use it? Because he, okay, here's because here's the problem. Like we we get this in Wisconsin, you know these million dollar grants. A bank won't underwrite it. Additional debt, mm -hmm. they won't they won't put additional turns of debt on it. And a million dollars is not enough to move the needle, hardly at all. So it's a question with a lot of questions. Right. Well, I have one partial answer for you. Yep. Most of the people looking to do this are counties. Almost counties almost cannot afford to do this. They can, counties have a very very hard time borrowing. For stuff like this because they just don't have the financial wherewithal they counties don't have a big revenue stream 
Unless they're in California. Yeah, that doesn't count, but yes. But... No, but I mean, like, this is, it doesn't count because California deliberately created a structure to help counties deal with this in terms yeah. of that pooled um, yes. uh, debt. What's it called? Um, there's a fancy name for it. The Loan where... Loss Reserve. The Loan Loss Reserve Fund. Reserve. Thank you. Yeah. Where um, so counties uh, can basically come up with a business plan. And then uh, if their business plan is not successful, uh, California has created a pool of a billion dollars or half a billion dollars. Something like that. that takes the first loss to try to give investors uh, some um, a reason to be a part of those projects. Right. I mean, that's more or less the incentive, I think. Yep. And, and how do you navigate through all that? Oh, you don't. You hire once, Tom Kogrick from T-Bank. <laughs> once you're short, you hire lawyers, and then you get your money 11 years later. Yeah, I mean, geez, Louise, <laughs> these people. <laughs> Here's the problem. A million dollars isn't enough. So yeah, no, and that's why I picked a million dollars. Somebody's going to have to pony up the rest. And what does that person that ponies up the rest get? So if you're a... Um, you know, if you're like a high net worth individual and you're willing to take on the liability, a million dollars, you you never walk away from a million dollars worth of equity. But if you're starting up a grassroots cooperative effort and you don't have the ability to borrow from senior lenders, you're going to flame out pretty quick because there's not going to be you're not going to be able to build enough subscribers to generate enough revenue to to even pay one person to work the deal. Right. And this is where I feel like you know, a million dollars isn't enough. I agree. Um, to some extent, like you'd want to, if you were able to parlay that into more and enough, depending on the size of the area, I would think you would consider going after um, a business model where you would build fiber to towers. And then, you know, whether you're using Tirana or whether you're using other wireless technologies, you give people a taste of good service if you're in a terrain that will support it. And then you try to build that business case where over the few years you're building that fiber out with some of that revenue, I'm guessing. But the challenge in some ways is, is that like, if you can't do it, maybe someone else is going to get state dollars to do it in that area. And so it's kind of an interesting situation right now that I was wrestling with, with um, some of the folks that, that we hope are building these local networks um, may find that the bead program, if it ever writes checks out to build networks, uh, will uh, actually make things harder for them because they don't qualify for it uh, or they can't deal with the, the paperwork. And so uh, they actually don't have much of a path forward. It's kind of bleak. Well, and, and here's my experience. And I, I think this is pretty universal from what I can see, you know, unless you're in some really difficult terrain, but it takes about $15 million to be EBITDA positive. So if, and that's with half of it coming from grants. So somebody has to back the seven and a half million dollars you're going to borrow to make that a reality. But you can, you can get to EBITDA positive. Absolutely. It's just going to take a lot more than a million dollars. So with a million bucks, I'd hire Doug Dawson, do a feasibility study. So he could turn around and tell us you need to raise 15 million. That's what I would do. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm all in favor of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd like to do 20 of these. That'd be great. So that's where I asked Mr. Thune, <laughs> if he gave us $100 million out of his $45 billion, we would be the most successful project in the country. No, Travis, because Senator Thune would tell you that a telephone company that contributes to his campaign and to the Republican uh, National uh, Committee uh, already provides DSL to four people in that town, and therefore there is no need for a no. duplicative overbuilding network. This is why I remember what I was going to say earlier. You realize the vast majority of these underserved areas will be served by the incumbent in that area. 
Yes. I'm not sure that's true. Like I still don't like if we're talking about areas where you have like two or three people per linear mile, two or three residents per linear mile. Is AT&T going to go for that money? That's uh, what, what's the point, Doug, at which you expect AT&T to really back off or charter in North Carolina? Or is charter going all the way out there and doing this? Or are they just trying to pick off the nicer areas? So far, they got they got RDOF money in counties that make absolutely no sense. So I, they seem to be going for it. I, I so we're just confused it. by that. But if yeah, I, I'm, I'm highly confused by it, yeah. So. Who's going to do it? You think there's going to be somebody that's going to start a grassroots effort in that town to serve two people? No, I don't know if it's going to be a grassroots effort, but I think electric co-ops are are going to be doing a big part of it where they exist. Um, you know, I think all, they're, they're all financially driven, though, dude. You know, they're going to look at it and go, "This the math doesn't make sense." No, but this is where I think the the math is different for an electric co-op where you're the real risk to an electric co-op is losing electric demand and so for them they need to make sure that um sorry i'm a little bit distracted because my son who is ill is moving around a little bit and i want to make sure it's not an emergency <laughs> um the electric co-op's biggest fear is that they lose uh more population and industry and so it, they want to they want these um, broadband efforts to break even. But frankly, if you tell an electric co-op, if you only lose a few hundred thousand dollars a year and that will guarantee you a million dollars worth of electricity sales for them, and I'm just making these numbers up, but there's a balancing act there where they're like, heck, that's a great deal. I was just talking to Ernie Staten, the, who runs the Fairlawn Fiber Network in Akron area. He uses different economics than you do, Travis, because he runs the city. And so they put municipal money into building that fiber network and they offer it at a reasonable price point. And one of the things it's done is it's led to more people wanting to live there and more business to the extent that the city's tax um, like uh, intake, despite the fact they haven't raised taxes, has significantly increased. The tax base has grown significantly. And so even if they're losing money on broadband, they are massively benefiting the community because they're growing the tax base with it. And that's where it's the local governments and co-ops think a little bit differently about this because of how it's not just the broadband picture, it's a wider picture. What is, that's, a really, that's a really good yeah. story there. The value of one person moving to your town is way more than the cost of bringing fiber to them. Yes, absolutely. So. So, so what is municipal money? Is that a fancy term for tax dollars? It's tax-free money. Um. Well, no, it could. So that's, I say that because there's there's – a variety of things that can drive that uh, from transfers to property taxes. And in Ohio, the property taxes don't go as much to local government, I think. And so there's, it's so complicated, uh, but it's a variety of tax like tax and tax like things, I think. But, but Travis, if they take bond money out to build this and the network never fails, they don't use a penny of tax money. So if it doesn't fail, yeah, if it doesn't fail. Yeah. yeah and most of them don't go ahead, Kim, you were saying something. Um, I was just going to say, but the ROI is very different for a municipality or a co-op versus what Travis is ROI, I assume is. So you're just looking at two different business models and why somebody might go into those rural areas because a business model that a municipality might have might be 10 to 15 years where Travis on his return on investment can't wait 15 years for that, you are, yep, that, that right. area to make money. Yep. Yeah, and then you Maybe can't that. forget economy of scale either. If, if a co-op doubles its size, its overheads are still the same, and then, it's, then every all their older customers are more profitable. It's, there's a whole bunch of complicated parts of it. So, so question about why Comcast has uh, introduced 10 gigabit to Salt Lake City? 
Um, looks like two gigs down, much faster upload. Why are they doing it in Salt Lake City first? Um, it's because I live here. <laughs> Why? <laughs> uh, I think it just brings back the point of competition. Uh, I do want to thank Mike. I mean, I know Mike is a customer of Utopia. First of all, Utopia is always um, uppercase because it's an acronym for those who don't know. So I do appreciate the um, totally um, making it capitalized. I think this just goes into Comcast is, is in an area where it's not just Utopia Fiber. It's not just Google Fiber. It, there is a lot of competition in a lot of these cities who are choosing to build their own network or partner with other ISPs in the state of Utah. You are seeing a very highly competitive market um, in the Wasatch Front, which is to the 200-mile uh, corridor here in Utah that, that has, I think it's somewhere 80 to 90% of the population. So it is just a very educated base and Comcast wants to, why wouldn't you, if you're going to try it, why wouldn't you try it in Utah where you're seeing all of this competition to see if it, if it plays yep. is my, my inkling. Doug, I feel like sometimes these things are chosen for the reasons Kim cited, but it might also just be that they have some local techs. They, I think they rotate around these things. Um, St. Paul, Minneapolis were among the first places to get Doxus 3 from Comcast, but I don't, we're not competitive. There's no competition here. There was no, I should say, Travis, there was no competition then in, the, in most of anywhere. And even today, there's no competition most places outside of Minneapolis uh, to speak of. I've never figured out the big cable companies' decisions of where to go. You know, they're, they're, they have to have a matrix of decision-making that none of us understand. You know, except recently they decided to upgrade Philadelphia because that's their headquarter city. So, Because it's not a good city to upgrade. So, um, so that, you know, it's always a mystery. And they have, I'm sure there's a good reason. Um, I think they always, you know, they do a lot of trials. We always forget that thing in Salt Lake City is a trial. They may never do it again anywhere else, or they may do it a whole bunch of places after they look at it. So, mm -hmm. so Doug, you um, uh, had your story of the year that uh, we're, we'll talk about some of that as we were wrapping out. Um, uh, one of the, the things you're going to contribute is that not much happened in a particular area. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been one year since they announced $45 billion of big grants and and if you put it on us on the time scale of one to 10 of all the events that have to be done, I, we're still somewhere north of between event one and two. <laughs> well, the, the There's Texas... still a whole lot to be done before we can actually put grants out the door. We're not there. They didn't make but a we, lot of progress on the timeline yet. But we got maps. Nobody no, thought we, we would get maps. No, oh, we I'm feeling ill. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't have maps. And, and I'm starting to hear... There's a lot of state attorney generals talking about suing over the maps. And if that happens, we're not going to get B grants for two years. Well, Texas, the Texas controller, uh, I believe it was. Um, my colleague Deanne will probably correct me in the chat if she's still around. Um, I, I believe is pushing now for a legal proceeding to demand an extra two months to fix the maps, uh, which I, I think is entirely reasonable. And, and this comes back to something we've talked about and I think we've all agreed on, which is NTIA is really screwing this up. NTIA should be rushing out a small amount of money. It generally knows how much each state is going to get, even if it doesn't know the round figure. Mm -hmm. It could absolutely say that Texas is going to get $500 million because we think Texas is going to get between three and a half and four and a half billion dollars. It can do initial allocations without knowing what the map is and give us time to have a map that might be slightly better than atrocious. 
I w- if you would have done that a little louder, that would have been four. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was right on the edge. I was just walking. You were close. You were close. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the maps are just, that's the nightmare story of the year. That, this, is the, uh, this is the disaster of the last decade. Maps. They're, they're just, a, they're so bad that you can't even put a, ad, I can't put an adjective on them or an adverb. They're terrible. So. Yeah, and we still, I mean, we're now we're fighting about maps again, using our energy on maps again that don't have any pricing information. It, we just, we've made so little progress. And, and I'll just once again, thank uh, the Senate and the Biden administration for not getting uh, a commissioner on, um, putting forth one of the best nominations for the FCC uh, it, that I can remember, Gigi Sohn, and then just letting her dangle out there and not doing anything to actually get the FCC working. Um, have, you ever, meanwhile- have you ever heard what, because obviously there's at least one Democrat, maybe multiple, who are ready to vote for her. Do we know who that is? Yeah, right yeah, now, okay. um, I'll say, first of all, I don't think Chuck Schumer is all that motivated to move it forward. Um, <laughs> Gigi Sohn has upset Hollywood uh, because she does not think Hollywood should write the copyright rules for the entire world um, based on its interests without a balancing anywhere else. Uh, I'm, I'm getting close to that rant again. Um, and um, uh, well, so well and, done, Doug. Chuck Schumer is not like super thrilled about it, but I believe um, uh, I think there's a number of uh, suggestions I've heard that uh, Senator Cortez Masto is on the fence. Um, But there was also a time where it's looked like there was 50 votes for her. And then we had like COVID and strokes and, and there was just never enough time. And this is where I feel like we're not a serious Republic. We're not a serious country when we can't get things done because like someone is ill, like we can't have a vote when someone's ill. What? Like, I'm really glad Japan didn't bomb the Pearl Harbor while people were freaking ill. Like, what is going on? Yeah, why I mean, can't instead of have remote voting? Here they are talking about broadband and they can't vote remotely. It's not hard to prove who they are. Yeah, we can't, I mean, we can't even do b- voting remotely in the states. Um, Doug, so why do you think we can do it in the Senate? But like this gets back to like I feel like one of the <laughs> things I wanted to say about Senator Thune and, and others is that like I don't like there's times when I've been at events and people are like, do you want to meet so-and-so Senator? And I'm like, no, like, what am I, I going to say to a Senator? Like, like, what are the, what do I care? Like, can I talk to their staffer that actually makes positions on this and does the work on it? That's who I want to talk to. Like, I don't like these, it's just, that's not how things are done. The senators are important. They do like, they lead their offices. They set a tone, the blah, blah, blah. But like on many of these issues, it's the staffers that it's matter. The staff. mm-hmm. It's the staff. Yes. Yep. So was that number four? No, it was close. Okay, I've got, I've got a bunch of decimals here that are adding up. Kim, you're up. Yeah, yeah it's your go for four. Yeah. Come on, Kim. Come yeah, on. I don't think I can irritate him like as much as you guys can, <laughs> unless I say something like AT and T, Comcast, Charter. Everybody is like that. That they're Chris's favorite uh, in cable providers. I don't think I can do anything. Because he seems to love all of those companies. He, he does. Oh, he does have a special place in his heart. I yeah. I have a deep appreciation. I, I feel like Juan might have some very good reasons for why we shouldn't just decide that because Chris thinks there's 50 votes, we should <laughs> we should have a, a something happening. Uh, it's a it's probably a good point, Juan. <laughs> but do you think so? Going back to that 
Do we think that she is going to even get up for like that they're going to put her up for a vote? I mean, do you think she's going to make it across the finish line in 2023? Well, the issue, I mean, so as someone who is is not paid to to follow this closely but is obsessive about too many dumb things, um there's a lot of things on the calendar that have to get done before the new Congress comes in because the new Congress has will likely have we don't know if there's going to be enough votes to, like who the speaker of the house will be, but the person that looks like will be the speaker of the house is a clown who probably will not be able to actually get anything done. And so things like um, the FCC having uh, the ability to do auctions and deal with the 3.1 to 3.45. Is that right, Doug? How high does it go? That band close enough. We're hoping that'll get auctioned off at some point, but the FCC needs a reauthorization of its auction. There's a bunch of things like the defense bill. Like there's all, there's all these things actually making sure that our freaking elections work and that nobody thinks the vice president can just decide to not have the president get elected. Like, um, you know, like there's all kinds of things that need to get done because we expect that that Congress will not work for the next two years because the speaker of the house um, and, and a Republican party that is just interested in being on news on TV rather than actually getting anything done. Um, and I'm not saying that because I think the Democrats are going to be freaking great on the, all these issues, but just it's a clown show. And, and so there's a bunch of things that have to happen. And the question is, do you wait until after the new uh, Senate comes in to then push Gigi through, or do you use some of that precious time now to get her through? And I would say, get her through. We freaking need her. We made it. We made it, guys. It. We you made it to number four. You did it. You did it. Yes. Congratulations. I knew you could do it. You took the we just had to pivot a little bit. Well, you took the 50 battle. shows, and now I'm just, it's just the Chris show, and the rest of you are just here to like push buttons. Well, I mean, was that, was that officially four? Oh, I yeah. feel like that was oh. four. Oh, that I feel like the high pitch. The high pitch right. at the end. I, I think it's yeah. time we go full nuclear with Chris. <laughs> and, I, and, and I think we're starting to see the fruits of, of the fabulous Trump FCC and the uh, allocation of the six gigahertz spectrum that will be starting to become available here in 2023. Well done, Trump FCC. Take it away. Actually, actually that was the best thing in a long time. That was actually. Come on, I'm trying to drop the big nuke on Chris here. Travis, that button got worn out, and I'm afraid. Oh, no, okay, I got to uh, come up with a new one. That was my bad. You have to come up with a new one. He actually, he actually likes the bandwidth. Yeah, that's yeah, one yeah. of three things that I think Ajit Pai did that I that I think were uh, were wise decisions. Almost wow, there's more. I, was, I can't I even think hurt. of number two, but that's well. So guy. number two, the tribal priority window is tremendous, ah, and and yeah. I don't know many people that would have pushed that through. Um, uh, now he he did limit it to rural areas, and there are urban places where we could have seen tribes really having some benefits, but um, but that was pretty significant. Uh, there was a third one that I'm forgetting now. Oh, I think some of the stuff about China was was needed. Um, and so that's good. Um, um, you know, the first time we launched this show, we had Carl Bodie as a guest. And for years, Carl Bodie has been on a high horse about a number of things. One of them is that Elon Musk is a clown. And I feel like I've long thought that Elon Musk had a bunch of talents that people were neglecting to appreciate. And that just because he was a weird guy that um, uh, people didn't understand it. And now I'm I don't know. Like, it's hard to justify now. <laughs> Every day, it gets a little bit harder. But Carl's like the person who's been ranting about all the stuff about how um, TikTok, all the people ranting about TikTok need to shut up and actually focus on like privacy legislation that would um, protect all of from us from all of the predations of those companies, not just the China, the the government of China. And and I think he's been right about that. 
Yeah, does TikTok do any more with our data than Google? Come on, let's get serious. Here. I mean, I, I think that's that's Carl's argument, and that's where I chafe because I do feel like I don't think Google is going to be committing genocide against the Uyghurs. Um, you know, and I, I worry about China's well, ambitions that, to that's mostly because they're not a country. Right. It, <laughs> it's mostly. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> but I, but I worry about China's ambitions to like have totalitarian countries. I worry about what the NBA and Delta have done to um, roll back um, to change the way that they communicate about things to please China. I worry deeply about what Elon Musk will do with Twitter to make sure he can keep his factories operating and selling cars in China. Like I worry a lot about China. I feel like some people don't appreciate that. Um, but that said, a lot of the people who are yelling about China, Frank won't do anything about Facebook or Google or the others. So they should go ahead, Kim. I'm, he, I'm he almost upset. talked. He almost talked himself into five. Without he a almost talked himself. I'm more upset about like what the, I found out right before this podcast is that Elon Musk set, shut down the Twitter account that followed his personal jet everywhere that tracked his personal jet. Because, like, he, because he's all for free speech, right? <laughs> yeah. But that was my biggest concern of the day. So I just wanted to bring it up at the end of the year show that Here's we can the, no longer track his jet. Here's something that I cannot get I'm enough sure of. They, I'm sure they have it on Facebook. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious if Travis, if you react the same way, I love reading the stories often on light reading or telecompetitor. Uh, the most recent headline here, um, operators say 5G investments show no clear signs of paying off. I, I can't get enough of these stories. Like after years of us talking about 5G hype and what a loser it was to see story after story of like other people finally realizing that is nice. Well, you know, but then I woke up this morning and pots and pans was all about 6G. So here we go 6G. again, right? <laughs> yeah. Which here is we go. which is the old 5G. They just renamed it. Yeah. But I, I was watching the um the Cambium spect uh conversation on their 4500 platform that's in the six gigahertz spectrum and to have 800 megahertz available, wow! What what a game changer for what a game changer for wisps out there. Uh oh, we lose Mitchell. Disappeared again. Huh? I we did. No, no, I'm here. I was just uh, I was just checking in with uh, with a little guy who's not feeling great. Um, Travis, I I sorry, I missed your point. No, I was just talking about yeah. Uh, there's going to be a combination of uh, 5G, 6G, and this whole products that are releasing next year with 800 megahertz available in the six gigahertz band, game changer for wisps. So it'll mm. be an interesting, it'll be an interesting year ahead. Yeah, I'm curious. And uh, I'm hearing that uh, NTIA, um, some of the NTIA staffers basically spend their day um uh, receiving rant after rant about the injustice of the, the rules that say that uh, unlicensed connections are per se not broadband. No, I, I would agree. That's 50% of all their emails. Who is this now? Oh, yeah. The people that the people are responsible. And, and all their members, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, which I, I think is, you know, um, it's. I feel like it's. This is. This gets down to the challenge between supporting bright line rules that are clear, ver, that but also have clearly unjust, unjust lines that are included in them, and having more complicated rules that then we complain that there's too many rules and that we and that it's too complicated. Um, you know, it's very hard to get this just right. Oh, Wi-Fi seven at fifteen hundred dollars a router. Holy smokes! Those. That's what I was just looking at. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, I've been, I mean, I'm, I've been trying to figure out like how to, 
uh, upgrade some of my home stuff and I still just can't find anything more than a gig that's really affordable that I could justify. I'm hoping that next year will be the year we see that. Um, I do think that um, our first show of January, I hope to do some forecasting and that sort of a thing. I'm, I'm pretty sure if I recall what Senator Thune said, you could buy a gigabit for $45. Is that right, Travis? Hey, I'm telling you, I, I still want Thune to invite the four of us out there and give us $100 million. We'll build Mitchell Net and it'll be the wildly so $45 billion, 900 million will go to waste, but $100 million will go to, go to good news. Do you do you think that one of the big stories of this year in retrospect, um, I'm asking Doug first, I think AT&T building out of market fiber in Mesa um, and perhaps rumors of elsewhere? I, <clears throat> they've actually <clears throat> been building out a network. This is the first big place. See, AT&T goes to all their little pot, all their little hubs. And that could be a cellular hub in other cities where they're not the, they're not the ISP. And they build 15 houses. They've been doing that. That's how they got their 20 million passings. They're all 20 at a time. This is but the first. So you're big, saying this is their, just to interrupt their you for first a second. Network. Yes. So this is. So you're saying that in areas where they are not the ILEC, where they are not the incumbent, they are building the cell sites and they are connecting residential homes on a onesie two tiny way. little onesie twosie ways, and they've been doing it for about four years. And and but but you know, and, and no one notices them. They don't advertise. They knock on doors. Is how they sell it. But this is the first place where they're doing something big. It, that's is, that why I, is that that's why I get great AT, AT&T service in the middle of nowhere on my cell phone is because they're building up to all those little rural places? I think, Chris, the story isn't that, that AT&T is building. I think we've always, at least I've known that. I think the biggest story is why Mesa? Why did they jump into that, that show of like Google Fiber? you know, sci-fi and all of the other people who are building, but why Mesa? What, what's that, so important to that market? And that's the big question mark. That seems like over-competition. Mesa is a community of fairly older people. I'm just, it's like, really? That's the, of all the places in the United States, that's the place? So, yeah, that might be a case of overbuilding because <laughs> you're talking about four or five fiber networks going in at once. That's remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> So that's um, the mystery there, yes. Travis, just I'm, go into Mesa. I heard it's a good market to build a fiber uh, network. You know what's funny? I'm trying to remember, but I swear Mesa was the pilot area for when municipal Wi-Fi was a big thing back in like 07. I, I, swear, I, I swear we went to Mesa to visit their, their network. So there must be something about Mesa that really attracts all this first-generation tech. I, I mean, no I think it's – no trees and a lot of um, uh, fast-growing areas. Um, I mean, rapid, if, rapid growth, sandy soil, all the good things. Yeah, yeah if you want to, if you want to really have some fun over this uh, holiday break, Kim, um, who's getting ready for that right now. <laughs> the, um, it's ginger beer. Folks. I know it's what it is, beer. but it's more fun to make innuendo. Um, check out <laughs> Chuck, a guy named Chuck Marone. Uh, I think it's Small Towns. And um, and he has an argument that the that suburbs are a Ponzi scheme, and uh, I think it's a pretty strong argument that uh, that basically these 
these are not long-term sustainable in terms of the tax revenue to sustain the hardcore infrastructure. But when they're building, it sure is nice to get in there and take advantage of those things when they're sprouting up. Um, strong towns. Thank you, Jay. Um, strong towns. Wonderful, insightful thinking um, that goes counter to a lot of urban planning and things like that. But and I've actually always said that. sharp. What, what does a subdivision look like when it's 75 years old and all the houses are falling over because they weren't built very well? So Yeah. yeah. And, they're, and they're, they don't generate enough tax base to keep the road no. um, up, up to speed. Right. What, is a, uh, what does a broadband network look like when it was built cheaply and inefficiently in the beginning? Well, those, those get them because they, they put it in <laughs> and the roads are open. You have oh, to rebuild them then? Hmm. No, not if they put conduit in. So. Huh? You, you, just, you almost baited me into like picking on one of the ISPs that I love to pick on, but they're a bit litigious, so I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> I'm sorry, Travis. I interrupted your yes. rant. I, 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 I'm I trying to get him going again, and he's not taking. Uh, he's not taking. Hey, it, so. calm down. Juan has a question for me. Yeah, yes, Juan. Juan. Um, ten, 10 gig. We offer ten gig to every residential house. Um, we should be having an announcement about that um, coming up soon. So stay tuned, Juan and Mike, and anybody else of our two other followers who are on here. Yeah. I'm I mean, I, I'm deeply curious about the CPE. I agree with Juan. Like, I just, I can't justify that. Um, you know, I had paid, uh, I want to say like on the order of $250, $300 for my um, 3.1 Doxis router that I own. And now I get emails from Comcast every other week telling me that I can't take full advantage despite the fact that it's like, what is it, 32 by 32? Or is it 32 by, what is that? What is it? How do the channels work? Whatever I got was sort of like one that was very flexible, um, but does max out at a gig, I think. Oh, they can support your router. They just choose not to. Oh, well, that, terrific. Right? Yes. Travis? No, they, they just, they will not put it, they say it's a software issue. So, yes. Um, so here goes rant number six today. They, they kept asking in this Senate thing, they used a word that I don't know if we've actually defined. What is considered affordable in broadband? <laughs> It's really hard to solve a problem if we don't have the definition of what affordable is. Is affordable free? Nope. Well, okay. it would be in some ways, but uh, that's not what people are saying when they use the word affordable. Any idea what people are saying? Well, I think it, it is different in different circumstances. And uh, and I'll, I'll issue a quick take and see what Kim and, and Doug say. Um, but I'll just note that like if you're in a rural area where you're paying uh, more than $100 a month for a really terrible HughesNet connection, a $70 a month 100 megabit connection uh, looks more affordable. Um, you know, certainly anything that's in the $30 to $40 range now after ACP is applied, I think that's in the affordable range. I feel like for areas of high poverty where you got 75 buck a month bills, I think that's edging out of affordable, mm -hmm. but there's a big gray zone there that I would say. Mm -hmm. Now Pew did a survey, a large one, 20 some thousand folks. And they, and they said that 60% of, of folks who can't afford broadband will not pay more than zero. So the folks, the folks who say they can't afford it, that's the number they're looking for. So yeah, and I always worry about. I, mean, I, I just, like, I, I, I didn't, there. I didn't really. I'm just saying, I didn't really buy that number. My experience is not that high. There are still quite a few folks like that, which means it's thirty dollars and you get the ACP. But, but, uh, but yeah, that that's hard to believe. But, but, but the, I'm not sure that the folks who don't have broadband can't afford it know enough to answer the question. 
you know, so who knows? So I was just curious. They threw that word around mm-hmm. like it had an actual definition, and I was wondering what it was. So, I just spotlighted no, Kim no, no, no to answer it. <laughs> I think it's anywhere from fifty to seventy-five dollars. Uh, I, I view it as affordable, but I do think it's a fluid answer depending on where you are in the country and what affordable means to different sectors. Affordable in you know a place in high Michigan versus you know, Southern California, that affordable could mean very two different things. So I think it, it is a fluid answer or a fluid question and it can go back and forth wherever you are. So I think it's, it's interesting they use that term, Travis, as a generality of that there's one number that we're all striving to hit. Because as you mentioned, we're hitting $100 internet, but then they're like, we need it affordable. It's yeah. contradicting itself. Well, affordable yeah. is, yeah. Well, is, is the price that Sonic charges and expensive markets in the world yeah i mean his prices are unbelievably low I, I, so, yeah. but, but isn't he predominantly wireless no, no sonic oh, is, no. who's the sonic. rooftop guy i thought that was sonic no 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 oh, okay oh uh, that's um monkey brains and mm-hmm. prayer that common oh, okay so i got them backwards okay um and I, I think also this is situational. You could take a person in, uh, let's just say, Southwest Georgia who's living on fixed income, and uh, it's not affordable for them to pay after the ACP $30 a month. You put a grandchild in that home that's 12 years old, and it becomes affordable, right? Because mm-hmm. priorities change uh, right. to make sure that that child that's can true. do their homework, even if they use that connection much more for video gaming to come back to one of Travis's earlier points, but, but, you know, that's why I say it's situational. It could change quite a bit. Are you trying to get Travis to rant? Was that what that was? <laughs> nah, Travis wants everyone to... to be connected. This is the thing, right? I mean, I, like I, 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 I like it, but I like sustainable networks and that's my big worry on all these things. Is, mm-hmm. And they kept talking about this. Well, okay. So you're going to throw all this money at us, but then how are we going to operate the network? Mm-hmm. Like, well, hold on with all this money you should be building a network that you can operate. And, right. that, and that's not the way these people were thinking. They were thinking there was going to continue to be on the drip forever. Yeah, no, and that's because the big cable and telephone companies, um, they want to be, they want to figure out how to unlock that, the taxpayer dollars to be on the drip forever, if they can possibly justify it. The telephone companies have been on the drip forever, right? I mean, that's how we built the telephone system to areas the cable companies had monopolies for a long time that made sure that they would be able to cover their costs and then they had a competitive environment but we've never really had actual competition because they had that massive advantage from that early monopoly so uh there's there's no like possibility of a free market system in telecom i would say well here's my brave prediction then i'm gonna i'm gonna preempt our next show the, the RDOF, there's supposed to be another round. But because of all the B grant money, they probably won't have anywhere to give it. I believe they'll just do a big subsidy program and give it all to the ILEX, the big well, ILEX. Yeah, so and I mean, if you're. If it'll be CAF like, 3. It'll, it'll be CAF 2 on, on steroids. Right. And I feel like, you know, Frontier <coughs> and, Frontier and, and <coughs> like whatever company's not Lumen a half of CenturyLink, I forget. What's their bright? bright bright blah blah um right yes that's the yes <laughs> they um <laughs> right blah blah they uh they're the only ones forming that program right to make sure that they can get it although 
where we need it is like those is like those networks in North Dakota and South Dakota where you got the two hours of windshield time to get to the customer. We need it in tribal areas where the tribes are building their own ISPs because nobody else has. Uh, and and they have you know seventy five customers, and you're not going to get those fifteen thousand, the fifteen million that Travis is talking about to to get EBITDA positive. So like there are places where we need to do that, but it's uh, uh, but unfortunately those places, think, have, those places have no lobbying power. Yeah, yeah. that's where we would have gone with that. So that's perfect, exactly. Yes. So I feel like we, um, I want to drag this out until the new year, but uh, I'm afraid that um, we'll. we'll We'll get Jay and Juan and Tom. Um, and if Mike's still around, I'm sure he's about to comment that he is. Um, you know, we're going to drive them all away. So um, I am, I'm hoping that we'll be back the first week of January, but uh, we will be back in January. Uh, I don't think we'll be back before then, unless something really crazy happens. Like I would say that, like, because what we're if all. She gets, what if she gets nominated? Are we coming back this year? If, oh, if Gigi we, goes. Oh, what if they vote her in next week? Are we going to come back? If something really big happens, then um, I think that um, uh, then we will we'll see if we want to come back and do a special show. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Kim, did you have any news you wanted to share about your own personal um, achievements lately? Is that public yet? Um, I think it's going to be. I think it's been public. But uh, last week or two weeks ago, I don't know what day it is. Uh, I was uh, very humbled and grateful to be uh, voted onto the Fiber Broadband Association Board of Directors. So um, I will be doing that in all of my free time as well, Travis. So thank you. Travis is going to be like, when do you sleep? Wow, that's impressive. This means she gets to go to even a few more conferences. Yeah. I like to, you know, I just, this house of mine, I have, I just don't like to see it enough. (laughs) The, um, The uh, Juan's comment, I'll just note, um, I think is worth uh, spending a minute on too. And I'm curious how Travis, Kim, and Doug all react to my reaction to this, which is that uh, I was just, last week we did a tribal broadband boot camp. We did, it was our fourth one of the year, our fifth one overall. Uh, it's been a remarkable year in that a year ago, we did not know if we were going to be doing one or two more or whatever. We did Four, we've had tremendous um, support. Uh, the Schmidt Futures Foundation allowed us to expand those as well as some other foundations that kicked in help. Uh, the organization Connect Humanity really stepped up to make sure we could do this. Um, and, uh, and in that discussion, uh, we bring in different people that have expertise. And one of the people uh, that was talking about networks that they had built had talked about how they had built this network and they didn't build to some of the areas where there wasn't demand, as Juan notes. Some people don't want internet access. And then that person died and someone bought the house who wanted internet access. And like that's the direction we're going in. And, and they were saying in that case that they actually uh, would have saved money if they had just built the network to begin with. And, and rather than having to like come back out and, and re-engineer it and bring the crews back and all this stuff. So um, this is a question of whether, you know, in 10 years, is everyone going to be on it? And I, it's hard for me to imagine that there's going to be more than a few people that, um, that are just still passing this up in the future. The problem is not going to be rural. The problem is going to be cities. There's still a lot of folks in cities with problems. So we're just, mm-hmm. we keep ignoring that. So, yep. Any other reactions? Reactions well, you out. Can't, you can't get a rely, You can't get a rise out of us. We're, no. we're only here to get a rise out of you. <laughs> you know, but I will say Juan is right with. If you want to switch gears, he's right with his comments there. 
there yeah, are. Yeah, but I, we, do, my, yeah. we do about 25 to 30 surveys a year. We find 2 to 3% of people in every community prefer cell phones. You know, there yeah. are folks, that's what they want, which is great for them. So, Yeah. And I've, I mean, I'm a fan of municipal and cooperative networks, but I've always believed if we truly believe in the internet, we need overlapping networks. Um, the people who want to figure out, there are some people who think we should have one government owned network that runs on an open access basis and it should be perfectly engineered. And I always think that's not a good idea. Uh, we should have overlapping. Well, it networks. would be okay if they put Senator Thun in charge. Of Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm moving to South Dakota. The good folks of South Dakota. No, it's, you know what? You say what you want, though, but he asked great questions. So. Uh, that was not my oh, experience. Oh, here he goes again. That's how we're going to end this show. This is how we're going to end the show. I want to know logical business questions. So I, I really like that uh, Juan, I think, probably disagrees with me on a fair amount and uh, and still tunes in. I, I listen to a lot of people I disagree with, and I appreciate it when people who uh, disagree with me, like Travis, tell me, and we can have fun discussions with it. So, um, yeah. so well, that's how we'll continue Jake, the show. Sometimes he'll send a text at 10 o'clock at night trying to get, trying to get me going, but uh, I ignore that. But let's not forget, though, even though Kim didn't give a shout out to us, don't miss the episode of beers and broadband that was just released on youtube it's a classic it's an instant no, classic it, it's awesome and <laughs> it's awesome i feel like travis every time i've done a podcast anywhere you're like the first one who sees it come out oh yeah and i just keep waiting for the shout out to those you know your make a wish program here you're doing at you know connect this <laughs> so you know but nothing crickets the whole time so we got in the chat so if people want to watch it Oh, you have to watch it. I think I was viewer number 58. So we're, we're moving up. We're moving Highly up. Watched. Uh, it's been a wonderful year. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Kim. Uh, Travis, uh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for hauling me along, guys. <laughs> Travis, uh, it's been wonderful. Never would have done this show without you. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So. Uh, thank you, Rye, for being behind the scenes constantly. Uh, we're looking forward to yes. seeing everyone again. Uh, thank, thank you, Rye. You. We, we missed you last week, last time, Rye. Oh, badly. And we love the people in the comments <laughs> uh, and uh, people who watch later. Thank you all. Hope you have a wonderful holiday break. Uh, have you a safe holiday break? And we'll see you back in January with uh, some cold rants, some hot rants. Uh, all kinds of rants. Uh, so until then, this has been a fun episode of Connect This. Thank you.